Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How good to be with you. I really, really mean that because I was out most last week with this awful virus and whatever was going around, I got it. And I, you could still hear I have it, but I'm so much better. It's been two, three weeks. So if you have something that stayed that long, join. you know that you're joining the club. At least I have. Um, but I'm much, much better. So we are live today. Thank you for your wonderful patience and for LifeSite News and Stage of the Cross when they have to run a, a rerun or an encore. Um, I'm so pleased for all our partnership. And it's not possible without all of you, that's for sure. Um, Stage of the Cross and LifeSite News would not exist apart from uh, our being a family together and supporting one another. So God bless you. God bless you. And um, I pray you've had a wonderful Christmas and Epiphany. And I know for many, the baptism of our Lord yesterday was um, the final uh, day of the Christmas season for us here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, and many in the extraordinary form keep the tradition of the church for uh, almost 2,000 years, and and that is to end the Christmas season um, with the celebration of the Feast of Candlemas, which is the presentation of our Lord in the temple when Mary and Joseph, according to the Law of Moses, took Jesus to the temple um, as their firstborn uh, to offer sacrifice for him, to present him to the Lord. And Joseph brought two turtle dove. Um, who's, who would be um, sacrificed in place of the firstborn, uh, according again to the law of Moses. And there was Simeon, um, the ancient Hebrew, who uh, was told somehow by God uh, through the Holy Spirit that, uh, through the Holy Spirit who is God, that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And um, indeed, he did see the Lord's Messiah. When Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple, he recognized the baby in Mary's arms and um, took that baby, held that little infant up to God and said, um, "You can, I can die now. Dismiss thy servant in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And he's calling that little baby in Mary's arms God's salvation, um, which thou hast prepared um, before uh, for all people, before all time, a light uh, for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to thy people Israel. The glory of thy people Israel because the Messiah came um, through Israel, for Israel and for the whole world and a light to the revelation of the Gentiles um, that the whole world would be saved and that's what Epiphany is. Um, the manifestation of that little baby, God himself, um, the Messiah of Israel, to the nations, to the whole world. And on February 2nd, 
we the whole church celebrates the feast of the presentation of the Lord, which uh, Saint John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, named as the day uh, when we celebrate the annual day of the feast of consecrated life. So for us, it's a triple feast. It's our main, main, main feast day. Um, and um, we have four patrons. We have St. Benedict, uh, we have Our Lady of Guadalupe, St. Joseph, St. Benedict, and Francis de Sales. Uh, but above all those four feast days is the presentation of our Lord in the temple. And we absolutely love it. So um, you know many of us that we are looking for a new bishop and a new home. We're praying a 30-day uh, novena to St. Joseph. Um that by the presentation of our Lord, our Lord will show us uh, the bishop that he would have us to come under, because without the bishop, there's no church. And we will do nothing without a holy bishop, without a bishop that we could come under, uh, so that we live our vows of obedience. Um, And so February 2nd is that day, and we're asking our Lord to show us, if it's his will, we always ask, if it's his will, uh, our new home. And if we don't know by February 2nd, it is because um, it is the Lord's will that we not know. And that's his business. And all his ways are perfect. So we remain wonderfully, wonderfully at peace, beloved. And it, in any case, that's when our Christmas will end. So whatever Christmas decorations we have up uh, will remain until February 2nd. And we continue to celebrate the wonders of our Lord in becoming man. Um until that day but today and continuing this week um we said last week or that um the the most important thing we can do especially in this day in any day but especially in this day is to know and to live our faith we must know and live our faith we must not depend on others um no matter what position, uh, what uh, religious or priests or cardinals or hierarchy or teachers, we, we learn from them without question. We respect their offices, but we cannot depend on them for our faith. Faith is a gift from God, and each one of us is responsible to know our faith. And so I mentioned be. I mentioned more than once before that when I came into the church, I I entered the Catholic Church uh, in 1995 through uh, my background uh, growing up in a Jewish home uh, and then 18 years of evangelical Protestantism. I entered the Catholic Church, the fulfillment of Judaism, the full measure of Christianity in 1995, and it's been my joy and um, responsibility to know my faith. I, I realized coming into the church that there were practically three generations of Catholics lost to the faith. Can we blame this or that circumstance, these or that people? Yeah, we can, we can blame all we wish, but that won't help us. It'll also have us put the blame on someone other than ourselves, which is, which is never a good idea because we are responsible to know our faith. And we could live, which we do, in the midst of awfully confusing times. But the faith does not change. So um, if you go back to the Baltimore Catechism, uh, the Catechism of Trent, uh, our current Catechism unchanged, um, you will know the faith. We have all the resources to know the faith. And that's what I did coming into the church, 
I read. I had 200 books um, that I had gathered, and I either read them in their entirety or in part uh, as reference books and uh, came to believe the one holy Catholic and apostolic church that our Lord established that he promised to lead into all truth till the end of time and against which the gates of hell will not prevail. I say those two things um, just about every program these days because they're true and we must stand on them. We must believe that the Lord is building his church. So why he allows what he allows, the, the, um, the Satan is fighting against the people of God he has since the garden. And so we shouldn't expect any differently, but nor should we depend on others for our salvation. Um, we need to know our faith, beloved. So it's been a, a choice on this end for us to go together through the Council of Trent, um, the faith that has not changed through the Council of Trent. And so um, we have the book, not just the Council Council of Trent, which you could find online without any cost to you whatsoever. But we've chosen a book that Father Ripperger has highly recommended. It's the Catechism Explained, and it's um, an exhaustive explanation of the Catholic religion by Sparago Clark, um, a practical manual for use of the preacher, the catechist, the teacher, and the family. So all of us are one of those. Um, and again, beloved, it is the family, it is the family, it is the family that our Lord has um, uh, created uh, as the institution to build his kingdom on earth. And so it is the family that is Satan's number one target to destroy. And whether he destroys it by breaking up marriages, whether he destroys it by um, uh, errant teaching within the church uh, through temptation of sin, whatever it may be, um, he cannot destroy it. Jesus said, I, he, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. That's never changed, nor will it ever change. So the truth is the truth, does not and cannot change. Um, A wonderful book, if anyone would like to dig deep into this, is a book by um, uh, Saint Cardinal John Henry Newman, John Henry Newman called the essay on the development of doctrine. How did doctrine develop? And he talks about doctrine in the church developing the way an acorn um, grows into a tree. It does not become something it's not. It becomes all that it is and was meant to be. The whole tree is in that acorn, and the whole deposit of faith. Um, was given and um, ended with the last apostle. Listen to me, apostle. I never said that one before. I like that word. The last apostle. And so there's no new revelation past the last apostle, but there's a development of doctrine just as that acorn develops into a tree. And Cardinal Newman shows how you can determine a true development from a false development, not only from the acorn into the branches of the tree that will cover the whole world, but from the branches back into the acorn. And you can determine what is a true growth from what is a false growth. And the book, Essay on the Development of Christian Doctrine, 
um, Cardinal Newman wrote, he was not Catholic when he wrote that, but he was Catholic by the time he finished writing it. He was um, uh, he, he was part of what he called the the Via Media, uh, the Middle Way, and uh, as an Anglican, and he was looking into the Catholic Church. When he finished writing that book, he was fully Catholic and entered the church. It's a wonderful book, the essay on the development of Christian doctrine, a little pocket book. Um, it's a wonderful book. And um, some parts of it were over my head, beloved. Don't worry about getting every word, but you'll get, you'll get the truth from it. And so um, we are going to, the only part that we covered so far in this catechism explained um, is the part one of the introduction is just a little over a page. So I'm going to review that with us very, very quickly. And then if we have time, we'll go to part two, or at least the second point of the introduction. And if, um, and whatever we don't have time for today, we'll continue on with tomorrow. Okay. Um, and so the first question here, a little like the Baltimore Catechism, but it's, it's a full explanation of the faith, and it's truly wonderful. And the f- point one under introduction is the question, for what end are we on this earth? For what end are we on this earth? If you're a student of the Baltimore Catechism, I think the first question would be, why did God make you? Okay, why did God make you? But I like this better, for what end are we on this earth? So we get a little away from the subjective end. Why did he make me? To why are we as a people, as a family, as the human race on this earth? Not just about me. That was a yawn, I'm sorry. Not just about me, but us as the people of God. And the Catechism says... um, as the scholar goes to school in order that he may afterwards attain a certain position in life, so man is placed on this earth in order that he may attain to the lofty end of eternal happiness. And I, I can just hear some of you saying, come on, Mother, it, it, you, you really mean God wants us? Is that his primary end that we would be happy? Isn't his our primary end to glorify him? Well, uh, the answer is yes, yes. Um, but the only way we'll ever be happy is in glorifying God. See, the little catch to that. It's the only way we'll ever be truly happy is when we are functioning according to what we have made, been made for. <clears throat> and so... Um, This goes on to say, as the servant serves his master and so earns his bread, so man has to serve God and through his service attains happiness to some extent to this life, in this life, and in its fullness after death. Does God want us to be happy in this life? You bet he does. And in the life after forever with him. There's no happiness apart from God. There's no philosophy. There's no form of living. There's no manner of salvation than what God has given. And so here is the answer. The question is, for what end are we on this earth? And the answer is, we are upon this earth in order that we may glorify God and so win for ourselves 
eternal happiness. It's a gift. We win it. We can't earn it. We cannot earn eternal happiness. We cannot earn happiness with God. It's a gift. And we are upon this earth in order that we may glorify God and so win for ourselves eternal happiness. If we glorify God, we will have eternal happiness. If we glorify God on earth, we will have happiness on this earth. Right now, in the midst of a million trials and sufferings, And then if we don't turn from God, we'll have happiness hereafter. The authors go on to say, the glory of God is the end of all creation. All creatures on the earth are created for this end, that they may manifest in themselves the divine perfections and God's dominion over his rational creatures, that is, over angels and men and that he may be loved and praised by them. Even the material world and creation not possessed of reason, such as animals, trees, plants, stones, metals, etc., all praise God after their own fashion. Quote from Proverbs, The Lord Lord has made all things for himself, and he's made all things to praise him, beloved. And they do, because they obey him. Man is created for this end, that he should proclaim the majesty of God. He must do so, whether he wills it or not. Now, how is that? Man must proclaim the majesty of God, whether he wills it or not. The construction of the, of the body of man the lofty powers of his soul, the rewards of the good, the punishment of the wicked, all proclaim the majesty of God. His omnipotence, wisdom, goodness, justice, etc. Even, even the reprobate will have to contribute uh, goodness, justice, etc., Let me just see. I think I I skipped something here. Just a second. Um, No, I, I did skip it. Even the reprobate will have to contribute to the glory of God. That's Proverbs 16. Even the reprobate will have to contribute to the glory of God. In the end, he will show how great is the holiness and justice of God. Man from being possessed of reason and free will, is through these enabled in a special way to give glory to God. Beloved, I keep saying man, uh, not man and woman, not the human being, not the human person. I, I really, humankind, I, I just don't want to use those words. God said that he created man and made man, male and female. Don't be afraid to use the word man. It stands for humankind. Of course it does. But God made man and made him male and female, and there's nothing wrong with our using that language that has been used for 2,000 years. There's nothing wrong with it, beloved. And I personally... um, 
I want to use the word despise. It's very, very strong, but it's true. Any language that gives in to the world and to uh, a so-called equality that um, separates us from God um, in a wrong way, that separates us from one another in in a wrong way, God made man, and he made him male and female. We should not be afraid to say man when we're speaking of mankind, and it takes in both male and female. We should not be afraid of that. And the authors say this he does when he knows, um, when he gives glory to God, when he knows, loves, and honors God. Man is created chiefly for the life beyond the grave. In this life, he is a stranger, a wanderer, and a pilgrim. Quote from the book of Hebrews, We have not a lasting city. We have not here, beloved, a lasting city, but we seek one that is to come. That's Hebrews chapter 13. Heaven is our true country. Here we are in exile. We are in exile, beloved, from our father home, from our true home. We are pilgrims and exiles on the earth. That's why we pray to Our Lady, after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. We are in exile. We are foreigners. We are pilgrims. We are strangers. This is not yet our home, beloved. Hence, we are not upon earth only to collect earthly treasures, to attain earthly honors, to eat and to drink, or to enjoy earthly pleasures. He who pursues ends like these behaves as foolishly as a servant who, instead of serving his master, devotes himself to some passing amusement. He stands idle in the marketplace instead of working in his master's vineyard. He is like a traveler who, attracted by the beauty of the scenery, does not pursue his journey, and so allows the sight to overtake him. We are not made for earth. We are made to look upward to heaven. The cross, the plants point upward to heaven, as if to remind us that it is our home, beloved. For this reason, our Lord says, quote from Matthew chapter 6, one thing is necessary, only one, beloved. One thing is necessary. And again, seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all other things shall be added unto you. Matthew um, chapter 6 And uh, that would be Luke chapter 10. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek first, beloved, the kingdom of God on earth and all his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Unhappily, too many forget their last end and fix their hearts on money, influence, honor, etc., They are like the kings of that heathen country who, although they reigned but for a year and after they had to go and live on a barren island, 
spend all their time in luxury and um, luxury and feasting and did not lay up any provision for the future on the island whither they were bound. He who does not think on his last end, this last end, is not a pilgrim, but a tramp. Listen to that, beloved. If we don't think on our last end, if we don't realize that heaven is our home, then we're tramps. We fall into the hands of the devil as a tramp into the hands of the police. He is like a sailor who knows not whither he is sailing and so wrecks his ship. Our Lord compares such to the servant who sleeps instead of watching for his master's coming. He sleeps, beloved. He's not aware of where he is. He's not aware of his eternal home. He's not aware of his eternal happiness and salvation. He sleeps. And he wrecks the ship ship, because he doesn't know where he's going. And he cannot see the way. And he will be destroyed because our home is heaven, beloved. It's not on this earth. Okay, we've just completed point one. And barring uh, our Lord's second coming and any other thing he wills, we will continue tomorrow with point two. God bless you. Call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back for your calls, your texts, and your emails. Don't go away. This is Father Jacek Mazur. Please join me in a prayer to St. Martin de Porres. To you, St. Martin, we prayerfully lift up our hearts, filled with serene confidence and devotion, mindful of your unbounded and helpful charity to all levels of society. We offer our petitions to you. Amen. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful, full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the Church. Subscribe today at FaithfulInsight.com and may God bless you. Is there a program you heard at a particular time that you'd like to learn more about, but you don't know the title or how to find it? 
our online programming grid offers a complete list of shows. Just visit thestationofthecross.com and click the Programs tab at the top of the page. Here you'll find the link to our programming schedule. That's at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am thrilled to be with you after... Uh, I don't know how many days I was gone last week. I think four of the five. I'm so happy to be back with you. And we have a whole half hour all to ourselves to take your calls, your texts, your emails. Um, and again, that toll-free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three to call or to text. Um, and again, uh, normally, beloved, um, if especially if you're calling in on something we've, you don't need to. Your call does not relate need to relate to anything we're speaking about. It, it's the issue of your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. But if you are calling in about what we've just discussed, um, we will take your calls as soon as we can. <clears throat> we have an email from Nick, who says, "Mother." <coughs> Excuse me. I ask for your prayers and advice about an extremely difficult situation. A few weeks ago, one of my best friends broke up with her boyfriend and has been greatly heartbroken by it. I only heard this from another person, whom she and I are both close to. I felt really terrible for her because I really liked the man she was dating. We have all been friends for a long time and we constantly pray for each other and other people. With all that is said and done, how can I or someone else bring comfort to a friend who had a horrible breakup, uh, male or female, even though I haven't heard from her since her heartbreak, I want my words and deeds to be both loving and useful to my friend, while having the grace to understand what is best for her. Because she is not Catholic, I pray for the conversion of her heart every day. Thank you for your prayers and advice in advance. Nick, this is a difficult situation, as you said. But even though you are fairly close, and uh, the person that told you is close to you both, it's still better to not go to one person with what you heard from another. So I would not go to your friend with what the other friend told you. I would call your friend just if you're a friend. Um, you say that she's one of your best friends, so if that's the case, it, it wouldn't seem that it would be too far apart. Uh, your calls or contact with her would be too far apart. And so I would just call her and, and as a friend and say, how are things? How are you doing? Let's catch up, something like that. And, and let her tell you directly. 
And when she tells you directly, that will give you um, the the opening and the clue of how to approach her, because she'll guide you in that by what she tells you. And you won't say to her, yes, but so-and-so also told me this. You won't say that, because it doesn't matter how close friends you are, that's still going to be gossip. Don't do that. Just respond with an, a heart of love to what this friend tells you. Uh, if you're close, again, if she's one of your best friends, um, then um, then I would say that you uh, would be normally calling her to, to update each other on life. So uh, do that or with all sincerity. How are you doing? How are things? And um, if she says, did so-and-so tell you, you could answer truthfully and say, yes, but... But I wanted to hear it from you. You know, I, I want to. Uh, I've been praying for you, and and I want to know how you are. So you don't have to lie about that. But don't, but don't call her with counsel apart from finding out where she's at and how she is. And again, if you listen with your heart, not with your own desire to give her advice, but with your heart to where she's at and what she's saying. I think you'll know how to respond. We have a text from Anonymous who says, Mother, please tell me how to get past the pedophilia in the church. I feel the Catholic Church is the truth, but I will not let my children be abused. It's been going on too long, and I do not feel the church is addressing it. Well, my dear... um, my dear one, you've you've used a, a dangerous word twice in your in your uh, question here. <clears throat> you say you feel the Catholic Church is the truth. You do not feel the Church is addressing it. If we go by feelings, we're going to be lost. We cannot separate from emotions. That's a gift from God as well. But nor can we go by them. Um, no one should be Catholic because they feel it's the truth. If they feel it's the truth, that's the clue for them to study and know for sure that it is the solid rock on which they can and should stand. So feelings come and go, and they're greatly affected by evil and by what goes on. If if it's good, you're happy. If it's bad, you know, you have all kinds of questions and sadness. So uh, you, you are... Um, uh, one in that position can be tossed, as James says in chapter 1, St. James chapter 1, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by everything that people do. So you cannot stand with your faith or raise your children on a faith that you feel is true. You must know it because, again, those children have been given to you, dear one, uh, to nurture and raise in the faith. And when you stand before God, it will not be the church or the schools that is responsible or the pedophilia or anything else that goes on in the church that will be responsible for their growth in the faith. You, dear parent, will be accountable for that. And so um, uh, when you say you feel the Catholic Church is the truth, it'll, you'll be a much, much stronger the day that you can say, I know on my very life that the Catholic Church is true, is the truth, is the true church, is the church for which our Lord died. That's where you have to come to. Um, And then nothing will shake you. And, of course, you won't let your children be abused. Um, 
and the issue of pedophilia is is real. Uh, homosexuality, uh, dear one, is a much greater issue uh, than um, pedophilia. But um, you need to be sure that you have um, met the priest that you're going to send your children to, whether it's for their first communion or first confession, whatever it is, you need to meet with the priest first. You need to know what he's about. You need to hear him. And you need to hear him speaking about the faith and what he's going to tell your child. Um, You need to be confident. And you say it's been going on too long and you don't feel the church is addressing it. Well, the church is addressing it, dear one, but it is an evil that has permeated the church for 2,000 years or more. And uh, it's something that we need to live with. And the way to live with it doesn't mean it won't be cured, but sin is here to stay. Um, the way to overcome that is to know our faith and to live it. We'll be right back, beloved. Call in with anything on your heart, one 511 We'll be right back. If you're new to iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download on your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the Internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. 
And um, this will be the last segment of our show, but we've got a good amount of well over 15 minutes together. And um, I invite you to call in with anything at all on your heart, toll free, one 511 Text at that number as well, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We have an email from Kelly who writes, hello, Mother Miriam. Can a priest leave the sanctuary during the homily? I see this often, especially with priests who like to give long homilies. These priests are often the personality that like being the star of the show, and many laity often like these, um, she says, storytelling types because they feel entertained. Well, you can, you can, you can tell lots of stories. Jesus did, uh, without leaving the sanctuary. I find it a distraction from Jesus and a break in the Mass. I prefer the priest uh, stay at the Ambo. Can you reference for me a text I can use to correct if there is one? Um, Kath Kelly, um, I cannot reference a text. I also prefer that the... um, that the priests stay at the ambo, and I believe it is preferable. Uh, it is a distraction when he leaves. Can he leave the sanctuary? Well, physically, certainly, yes, and, and many do. I personally don't appreciate it. Um, I don't appreciate it when the priests remain in the sanctuary and walk back and forth before the altar. I, I find it quite irreverent and distracting. But I do not know what the Church teaches on this. Um, I do not know. And so um, I I cannot tell you that it's an abuse. I cannot. I can tell you uh, that for many, including myself, it's a distraction. It brings the focus to the priest rather than to the message or to Christ. Um, uh, And I think I think a major uh, disadvantage um, for the priest leaving the ambo, let alone the sanctuary, is that it loses, immediately loses authority. To me, the minute that priest is giving a homily and leaves the ambo, the authority is gone, and it's now about him. So I I can't judge the heart of a priest. I cannot say that that's true with all priests. I think it's at least true with some, but um, uh, that's the best I can do, Kelly, and maybe if priests are listening, they can hear the heart of the sheep to say, we want you to be priests. We want you to speak with authority. And the minute you leave that ambo, you have drawn attention to yourself and no longer the word of God. That's I, I do feel that strongly. Um, but again, uh, there's going to be other perspectives on that that can be equally correct. Uh, if my perspective is correct, that could be equally um correct and pleasing to God. So I I want to be careful about that, Kelly. I do not know canon law on that. You can look it up. Uh, I believe uh, some have said that in the Eastern churches, uh, the the priest does that. Um, I don't know. You might give uh, uh, look up canon law online. Uh, it's it's online. You can uh, you can also call Catholic Answers or uh, put your question in at Catholic dot com on the web. They have a whole team of the best apologists in the world um, uh, who who can help specifically on that answer. 
Uh, we have an email from um, Madeline who says, Hello, Mother. I'm a 24-year-old woman. Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm a 24-year-old woman. I've been married for a year and a half and have a three-month-old baby. That's such a beautiful picture, Madeline. Um, I am a full-time mommy. That's also a beautiful picture. And will absolutely be homeschooling my baby and future children. Oh, so far, this is a song. My husband is working on his Ph.D., which has us temporarily in an extremely liberal and atheistic area. I do not know any families slash mothers in this town that share our values. I wish that there was a young Catholic community here, but there is not. Our parish mostly consists of elderly. Young families seem to be non-existent here. It can be lonely not to have friendships with people in the same state of life. I have nothing in common with most people around here. All the same, I am truly incredibly grateful for all that God has given us, that we met at a young age and got married and have our sweet little baby. I know that my vocation, that God's purpose for my life is to help my husband and children get to heaven. Mother, do you have any advice for me? Well, there's another paragraph here, um, but before I go on to it, Madeline, I would say to trust God for the situation you're in. Um, uh, he didn't depend on having friends. His uh, The apostles didn't depend on having friends. Everyone left them, um, in fact. And they were also lonely. Read the letters of the Apostle Paul. Everyone abandoned him. Uh, he was left. And so um, uh, keep our Lord company. Don't worry so much about friendship for you, but uh, think of our Lord when everyone turned from him. And maybe this would be a time because you don't have friends, a lot of people you can relate to or uh, things that you can share in common with. This is a time where you can keep our Lord company and befriend him. Um, uh, that's what I would say. Focus on loving God. Focus on walking with him. Uh, focus on giving him uh, the attention and the honor that he is due. Um, let's see now, uh, Madeline goes on to say, on another note, Mother, you have talked very much about modesty, and I understand what you have said. I had never considered myself to be immodest, but you have inspired me to do a thorough cleaning out of my wardrobe. Well, great, I'm, I'm pleased for that. Um, thanks so much, Madeline. In particular, she says, when I was pregnant, I was given a lot of hand-me-down pregnancy clothes, which I now realize were not modest. And in fact, I want to throw in a comment here. When I was growing up, there was beautiful maternity clothes, beautiful, modest, gorgeous maternity clothes. I see no modesty whatsoever today. Women can almost be walking around naked. The, the idea of modesty is gone, and to show all of your skin and bumps and everything else um, in your body as you gain weight, that seems to be, I'm not calling the baby a bump, but your whole body 
uh, that seems to be the norm, and I don't understand that. I don't see anything attractive about that. Um, um, so Madeline was given a lot of hand-me-down pregnancy clothes, which I now realize were not modest. Anyway, I have a concern that I hope you can alleviate. As my daughter grows up, I will, of course, be able to um, control what I allow her to wear. But I will not always... Hold on now. Um... I'm sorry, let me start that again. As my daughter grows up, I will, of course, be able to control what I allow her to wear, but I will not always be able to control what she sees in public. Well, you certainly can't, cannot control that. My husband and I were horrified last year when we were walking through an airport and there was a Victoria's Secret store in the midst of the airport with massive posters of women in underwear, etc. I'm worried that I cannot control what young eyes see in public when, we're le- when we least expect it and can't control it. Even going for a walk down the street, one is bound to see horrifying things. I can't keep my children um, isolated from all of humanity. How do you suggest dealing with such things? Um, Madeline, I would suggest dealing with modesty, not simply by saying to your daughter, the shirts, you know, what is too, too short, it's immodest. It's too tight, it's too modest. That's immodest. Don't point out simply clothes that are immodest. Teach her the principles of immodesty. And then she can judge what she puts on her body. Teach her that our bodies are sacred and that they are not to be exposed to anyone but a future husband. You see, teach her the sacredness of, of her body and why God has made her uh, to be a mother and not to expose um, uh, her body as if she's exposing a pair of new shoes uh, and wants everybody to see them. So get a good book on modesty and teach her. Get get whatever's written by Dr. Alice Von Hildebrand, who talks about modesty and the sacredness and the dignity of women. Um, do that. Go through that with her. And then when she has something immodest on, instead of saying to her, excuse me, instead of saying to her, that's immodest, don't do that. Raise her to begin to judge what is going to make her beautiful and what is going to be pleasing to God, which is the only thing that should be pleasing to a future husband. Madeline concludes by saying, excuse me, Mother, thank you for all you do. And if you have time, please say a prayer for me, of course, and my husband. That's what I have time for most. (laughs) Madeline, excuse me for my hiccups, everyone. That we become the parents we need to be for our baby and future children to become saints. God bless you and all you do. Absolutely. Absolutely, beloved. And you tell those children, there's two people on earth. This is what my Protestant pastor said to me years ago, and I love it. He said there are two people on the earth, the saints and the ain'ts, and that's true. The saints and the ain'ts. We are saints through our baptism. To be a saint is to be set apart. It's to be holy. And you say, well, I'm not holy. Well, then you're not baptized. 
if you are baptized, you are holy. Uh, to, holy does not mean perfection. It means to be set apart for God. And through our baptism, we have been set apart for God. And we must not violate that. Okay, in all we do and in all we say, modesty is a matter of speech as well. It's a matter of posture. It's a matter of what we do and we don't do. And it's certainly not limited to women. It's equally for men. We have an email from Pam in San Diego who writes, Hi, Mother. My mother is entering hospice with end-stage congestive heart failure. She is Jewish, Reformed Jewish. I converted to the Catholic faith as an adult. I have spoken to her about Jesus, but she does not believe. My question is, when she gets close to death, can I baptize her? Thank you very much for your help. You can do all those things, but um, uh, if she's alive and she does not believe and does not want you to baptize her, um, it'll be a violation that you do that, and it will not save her um, if she doesn't want it. I would, I would say to her as much, you know, explain to her as much as possible, Mom, you're entering eternity. You have waited for the Messiah, or at least many Jewish people still do wait for the Messiah to come. Um, and the fact is, Mom, you know I believe that he has come, and that he is Jesus. And the fact is, tell her that the most Jewish thing a Jew can do is to believe in the Messiah. And she's waiting for the Messiah. It's a very Jewish thing to do. And again, if you're right, if Jesus is the Messiah, you're doing a very Jewish thing. If he's not, uh, then at the very worst, you're going to be worshiping what appears to be a false god. But um, to worship the true God is the very reason for our existence. So I would ask her to open her heart to Jesus, open her heart to the possibility that 2,000 years, including uh, the year 2020, which she would write on a check or anything else today, is the result of our Lord coming 2,000 years ago and to give her life to him who gave his life for her. Talk, uh, speak to her very gently very lovingly and um, and say mom you've got nothing to lose by asking our Lord if he's God what have you to lose nothing uh, but to gain all of life and all of eternity uh, be patient with her uh, don't wait till the end uh, have that conversation now okay beloved I apologize for my yawns and everything else this morning I'll still be stronger tomorrow it's so good to be with you Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We'll speak with you tomorrow. God bless you.